as we dig into Scripture this morning, one of the things that I want to remind us and I want us to focus on is that Scripture and any set of verses that we look at in the, in the Bible here is about God, right? It's not about you, and it's not about me. It's not about Peter or Paul or Moses. No, this narrative that we find in Scripture is from God about God, which allows us as children of God to understand who he is. And as children of Christ, with his spirit dwelling inside of us, who we are, and how we are to respond to the world around us as because of our identity in Christ. To take a, a quick step back and remind us where we've been studying recently, uh, we've spent the past five, five weeks in the book of Ruth. And we've spent time periodically throughout the past year in the book of 1 Peter. And just a little bit of background to this text, we know that 1 Peter was written to the persecuted church. It was written to a group of people 30 years after Christ's death, urging them for continued loyalty to Jesus, despite their physical circumstances. When we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, we saw that we are broken and fallen, have been born again through the living and enduring word of God, and are to love one another deeply from a pure heart. And just recently, six weeks ago, we looked at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, where we understood that when we taste that the Lord is good, we long for the pure spiritual milk of his word. And as an overflow, put off all things which cause relational strife, which we saw as malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. As we open up now to continue looking at verses 4 through 10, if you don't have a copy of God's Word in front of you, uh, I'd, I'd encourage you to go ahead and, and grab one from the table. Uh, unfortunately, Larry's not here this morning to hand them out, but uh, you can go ahead, get up. No one's judging, no one's saying anything. Grab a, a copy of God's Word uh, there on the table. I think it's really helpful as we study God's word to, to be able to see that in front of us. And if you don't have a Bible or need a new copy of the Bible, we encourage you, please take one of those. Uh, that's probably the greatest gift we can give someone is having God's word at our fingertips. So as we approach the inspired word of God this morning, let's pray. Dear Lord, as we approach your word, allow your word to be illuminated to us in a new way. A way in which prompts our minds, but most importantly, in a way that asks for inward heart transformation. Lord God, allow for a deeper understanding of you and in turn, who we are as children of God. 
allow our hearts and minds this morning to focus on you and for our actions to be an overflow of love for you, Lord Jesus. We recognize that this time of committing your word to our hearts is not to be taken lightly, but is an opportunity to know you more and grow in obedience to you out of love for you. God, I pray that you would allow this morning my words to be your words, that only your truth would be heard and understood in this time. Thank you for your word and for giving us direct access to you through your Son, Christ Jesus. Amen. So let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 10 and or starting in verse 4 and continuing through verse 10. It reads, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As we look to understand this set of verses this morning, we're going to see and focus on two points, which are explained a little bit in kind of a back-and-forth manner throughout the passage. The two points we're going to look at are, first, Christ is the cornerstone, the foundation. And secondly, we're going to look at who does that make you or us. We are a spiritual house, a holy and a royal priesthood, not able to be put to shame, honorable, a chosen race, a holy or set-apart nation, recipients of mercy. And as we look at these two ideas this morning, like I said, we'll see that it kind of flips back and forth throughout this passage. Right? We see who Jesus is, and then we see who we are. In verse 4, it's describing Jesus. In verse 5, who we are, imparted to us by our identity in Jesus. In verse 6, back to Jesus, as referenced in the Old Testament. And then back to who we are in the second half of verse 6 and the start of verse 7. The second half of verse 7 
and all of verse 8 are an aside about people who are not in Christ. And finally, who we are again because of Christ in verses 9 and 10. Got that? Right? That's the summary? All right, I'm done. No, I'm just kidding. Christ, us, Christ, us, them, us. No need to write that down or get confused with the back and forth nature of this passage. We'll begin to break that down by looking at these two points. First, let's start with the idea that Christ is the foundation, or Christ is the cornerstone, the foundation, which we see in verses 4 and 6. We see in verse 4 a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And skipping over verse 5 into verse 6, we see, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, this indented section that you see, which starts with the word behold in verse 6, comes from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Turning back to Isaiah quickly, we see the foretelling of God providing Christ as the foundation of faith. It says... Therefore, which refers to the previous idea here in Isaiah that the people of of Judah had made a covenant with death by not hearing and believing the word of God. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. We see here that God has laid the foundation, a sure foundation, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, a chosen and precious cornerstone in Jesus. You see, the coming of Christ provides the hinge point for eternity. He, as the ultimate sacrifice, has atoned for everything. He has become the foundation of faith. Now, to understand this analogy of Christ as a cornerstone, a foundation, I think we have to understand a little bit about building construction. Right? At this point in history, the time in which Isaiah is talking about and which Peter references in the passage that we're looking at, there the foundation of a building wasn't poured concrete like we normally have today, right? But it was laid down rocks, 
right? People, builders would come and gather stones. They would gather rocks and stack them up to be the base of their structure. And if you wanted to have a really strong structure, the brunt of the weight came in the corners, right? Of of any foundation, the brunt of the weight comes in the load-bearing corners. So the goal or the intent of those that were builders, scouring the countryside for the best rocks to lay a foundation, was to find the right rocks to build with but most importantly, to find the right cornerstone. To find the rock that was truly going to be the full base of their structure. Now, for most buildings and structures, at the convenience of the builders, the large and heavy rocks, which would form the best cornerstones, were cast away for lighter, easier, more accessible, easily moved rocks, right? Wow, that one would create a really good foundation. But am I willing to move that big rock? I think this one will do just fine, right? There was the balance there of how much effort were you willing to put in to get a truly solid foundation, These builders found themselves struggling between a good solid foundation and a true solid cornerstone. And the cost was if they were willing to understand the long-term benefit of a solid foundation, which was more important than the short-term benefit of not having to haul the heavy rocks. And this is the analogy used by Peter to describe Jesus. A chosen and precious stone able to carry the burden, the entire weight of the sins of the world. Cast away by most out of convenience or a short-sighted perspective, but ultimately the chosen and precious stone of God. It begs the question, Buffalo City Church, are we allowing Jesus to be the chosen and precious foundation of our lives? Are we allowing him to bear the burden, the entire weight of our challenges and struggles? Or are we casting away this precious chosen stone for other things which build a shaky foundation out of a temporal or short-sighted perspective? And extending beyond ourselves and looking at our relationships And those around us, are we more committed to ourselves and focused on our own interests? Or 
like a cornerstone bearing the weight of the world, are we committed to relationships with other people? With hearing and taking their suffering and pain to the Lord in prayer. To sacrificing our own interests for the interests of a fellow child of God. As Paul implored the Galatians in Galatians 6.2, we are asked to carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Are we allowing ourselves to be someone who points to those around them that our foundation is in Jesus? Now, let's turn to the second point. With Christ as the foundation, who does that make you or us? We are a spiritual house, a holy and royal priesthood, not able to be put to shame, honorable, a chosen race, a holy or set-apart nation, recipients of mercy. In verse 5, we see you, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In verse 6, we say, see, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. In verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe. In verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. In verse 10, we see that once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So imparted with the Spirit of Christ indwelling in us, as children of God, we are a spiritual house. We are a holy and royal priesthood. We are not able to be put to shame. Honorable, a chosen race, a holy or set-apart nation, recipients of mercy. That, folks, is our identity. You know, the idea of identity is at the core who we are. Right? And our identity is not something that we choose or something that we can create, although in our sin nature, sometimes we try. Our identity is not how we feel or maybe even who we think we are. Our identity is who we were made to be which is defined and determined by the Maker. The God of the universe, 
who knitted you in the womb of your mother and knows the beginning and the end, has laid out your identity to be found in Jesus, the fulfillment of all the promises of the Word of God. Unfortunately, many times we are fooled into thinking our identity is in something other than Jesus. And sometimes we are fooled into incorrectly finding our identity in something we could maybe perceive to be noble and pure. But in my own time of prayer and and contemplation. Deep within the heart of those things, in a lot of cases, we superficially see nobility and purity. But when tested, those things are truly impure. As an example, as a husband and father, I feel called to provide for my family. And there is biblical basis that I have a responsibility to ensure that my family is cared and provided for. Right? We see in 1 Timothy verse, chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But if any man does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So the desire and longing to provide for my family is not an element of identity rooted in sin, right? We see it comes from Scripture, but that idea is is pure. I should desire, I should care for my family, I should desire to provide for them. However, where I can get hung up and in a sinful tendency is the next level outworking of that identity. The idea that my job or my career, which is a tool or allows me to provide for my family, is my identity. Or that the level of which I'm providing financially for my family which in most cases is rooted in comparison, is my identity. To get to that level, I have to begin asking myself some tough questions and have to be honest with myself about the answers. If I were laid off from my job, what would my reaction be? What would I truly be grieving or grasping to find as I dealt with a major life change? Would I be distraught and grieving the inability to provide for my family? Or truly would I be distraught and grieving that I'd be forced to develop a new career path? for which I've placed a false understanding of my identity? Would I be okay if providing for my family looked differently or was at a different 
financial level of provision. Would I trust in that moment that the Lord had my best intentions, the fulfillment of my identity in Him in mind? Would I be the spiritually grounded rock in that situation that I'd want to be? Would we find that my identity and provision for my family is not merely financial, but is more importantly spiritual? If my identity is in providing for my family, I can rest that he will care for our needs and exhibit that trust to my family. And I think we realize that in most cases, our identity should be rooted in Jesus and his promises. But what does that make us? Right? What does that look like when that identity is fleshed out in the day-to-day? What are the promises that are foretold in who we are in that For that, let's jump back and take a look at the list provided in this set of verses. First, we are a spiritual house. If Christ is the cornerstone, the foundation, we as followers of Jesus are the house in which the foundation supports. The house in which he has built, in which He has established our identity. Obviously, there are many words and descriptions that could have been provided for the house in which Christ is the foundation. However, we see the term which sets us apart from all other creatures, the term spiritual. We are called to be a spiritual house. We see in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, this idea or concept, a reminder of the importance of our spirituality. It says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight or glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, or will pass, but the things that are unseen are eternal." See, our identity is rooted in the design to get beyond the here and now. The material and the physical, the doldrums of this world, to position our eyes above, to have an eternal perspective. We are designed to be a spiritual house with Christ as the foundation and a perspective which is spiritual. Secondly, we see that Peter describes 
God's people as a holy and royal priesthood. Through Christ, we have all been given direct access to God, just like a priest. And Peter describes it as a holy or set-apart priesthood, as well as a royal priesthood. Now, our understanding of priesthood comes from, in the Old Testament, the tribe of Levi, right, who were called to serve as the priests, performing the sacrifices and leading worship in the tabernacle and temple. However, I'd like to remind us that the Lord never intended the descendants of Levi to be the only priestly figures in the nation of Israel. We see in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, speaking to those who were freed from slavery, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Christ Jesus has made all who are in him the priesthood that God always intended. We need none but Jesus to stand between us and the Father. We, therefore, are a royal and holy priesthood. Third, we see we are not able to be put to shame and are honorable. Turning back to Isaiah 28, verse 16, it says again, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. We see that last phrase in verse 16 is referencing previously in Isaiah, which says the people made a covenant with death. And shortly after this verse in 18, it says, but soon the covenant of death will be annulled. This idea foretells of Christ Jesus, the precious cornerstone, a sure foundation that he will conquer death to give eternal life for those who believe. For those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, we are called into eternal life with the Father, and we are unable to be put to shame. It is followed up in 1 Peter by reiterating the opposite. Not only are we not able to be put to shame because of the work of Jesus, but the honor is for you who believe. Not only are you not shamed, but you have honor. 
And so we believe in Christ Jesus and his ultimate conquering of death. The honor of that accomplishment is bestowed upon us as his children, imparted to us in the eyes of the Lord because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. Fourth, we are a chosen race, a holy or set-apart nation. As we saw in chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, but as he who called you is holy or set apart, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. As those who have been called to follow Jesus, we have been set apart. We have been called, we have been imparted obedience as an overflow of our love of Jesus. We have been rescued from our futile ways, from a temporal perspective, to set our, eye, our sights on an eternal perspective and the hope of salvation in Christ Jesus. Lastly, we have been recipients of mercy, as we have seen in verse 10. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Folks, we are sinners. In our human form, we can't help but be separated from God by our sin. But the only thing that bridges that gap between us and God is Jesus. You see, we are due the complete and full wrath of God because of our sin. But because of the mercy of Christ Jesus, he paid the wrath in full. The wrath for which we were due, Jesus paid in full. He provided to us the mercy for which we did not deserve. We have that in Christ Jesus. So we've laid out that Christ is the cornerstone the foundation that he has imparted an identity to us as a spiritual house, a holy and royal priesthood, not able to be put to shame, honorable, a chosen race, a holy or set-apart nation, and recipients of mercy. You may be asking yourself, so what? How does this work itself out in our day-to-day If I know and truly believe that Christ is the cornerstone and foundation, that he has imparted to us an identity as a spiritual house, as a holy and royal priesthood, 
as recipients of mercy, what is my response? What does it look like if this truth really rings true in my life? For that response, we look at the second half of verse 9. It says, we may, we get to, we have the opportunity to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You see, if this identity is true in our lives, if belief in Christ as our Savior moves from our hearts and our minds into our identity and actions, we should be able to see this fruit of proclaiming His excellencies. We should be able to see an individual that has experienced an inward transformation that comes from being born again. And as we see that, I'm going to take a look at two very simple but not easy identity identifiers. Now, as we look at these two items in conclusion, I want to make sure that we have a clear understanding that we cannot truly or genuinely have these identifiers with our own will. To be genuine and true, it can only and will only come from what was discussed a few weeks ago from chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. If we have tasted that the Lord is good... We will long for the pure spiritual milk of his word. And out of that reverence and understanding and divine guidance of his word, can these two things be a true overflow? Now, I say this, I spend time here because I know even as myself, right, that sometimes I wait for the end. Right? What, what are the implications? What, what can I apply to my life? What in my own will can I do this week or next week to be better? Right? Buffalo City Church, I caution us that we can't do that. Right? That if we try, it's superficial. If we try harder, it's superficial. And so we must rely on Christ Jesus. We must truly give him the glory and spend time with him. You see, our identity is in Christ Jesus. And we must identify with that before proceeding to the actions. Our actions must be an overflow of our understanding of our identity. So with that, let's take a look at two quick things, two identity identifiers of someone who has their 
identity in Christ. First, and Mark mentioned this during our time of worship, we're to be a disciple of Jesus by spending time with the Lord. Folks, as Mark said, if Sunday morning is the only time that you are seeing and hearing and understanding the Word of God, we're missing the point. What we have read this morning, folks, is the good news of the gospel. Because of Jesus, our foundation, we are a spiritual house a holy and royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation, we have received mercy. Our identity is rooted in this good news. It's not in what the world says we are or are not. No, our identity is in Christ Jesus. Spend time with the Lord, and Mark said this, I guarantee you will fall more in love with him for what he has done for you and for what, for who he is. If you spend time in prayer and in the word, you will see and cannot help but to proclaim his excellencies. You will slowly, painfully, beautifully become someone you could not be without the divine handprint of a father who loves you. Ask God to give you the desire and the obedience to spend time with him to know him, to truly understand what he has done for you and continues to do for you, to love him and his word. Now beyond truly being a disciple of Jesus and spending time with him, the second identity identifier is proclaiming his excellencies in a discipleship relationship. This ties directly to the first idea, right, and should be an overflow of our individual discipleship. Right, spending time with someone in the word and in prayer should be an overflow of the excellency which we are seeing from our time with God. We first must be a disciple, and then we must be a maker of disciples. If you are not spending time in the Word, you are not being a disciple. If you are not spending time in the Word with God, you are not being a disciple. If you are not spending intentional time with someone else, praying and with the Word of God, you are not being a disciple maker. 
that's the bottom line. <laughs> it, it, doesn't get, it doesn't get easier. It doesn't get more simple than that. But it also doesn't get easier. Right here, our mission here at Buffalo City Church is that we exist to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. And folks, we have to grip that mission. Folks, we need that mission to grip our hearts. To be a people who are truly disciples of Jesus. And as an overflow of that, are being makers of disciples of Jesus. So if you're saying to yourself, Blaze, I don't know how to do that. Or I don't know who to connect with. I'm going to give you a couple options and thoughts. First, are you in a discipleship relationship with your spouse or significant other? For some of us, that might be a pretty tough question. The first expression of the local church is in our homes. If we are not spending time in prayer and in the word with our spouse and our children, we've missed the first expression of discipleship. We've missed our first opportunity to make disciples. Figure out a way on a regular basis to learn and understand and fall in love with God in a personal relationship with your family. Secondly, come see me. <laughs> come talk to me. If you're like, I don't know how to do this. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to read here. How do I talk to someone about God? What does that look like? What does an intentional time in prayer with someone feel like or look like? What is, what is that? Come talk to me. Right? We have people here in this church who are, are doing this. Right? We have men and women with, to your left and right who are spending intentional time together in the Word and in prayer. And we need to begin building that network, right? That becomes a cascading waterfall, disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So if you're finding yourself here this morning saying, I don't know what that looks like, or I'm not really doing that, I'm not spending my time there, come talk to me. The third option is, Maybe a more bold one, ask someone in your community group, maybe someone you hear, see, see here Sunday mornings, or maybe someone you feel prompted to connect further with to spend time in prayer and studying the Bible. We find ourselves easily saying, hey, let's go do this, right? Let's go do the, the kite festival. It's pretty cool, by the way. Let's go do, you know, whatever it is. Let's go to the circus together. I don't know. But what we don't find, yeah, 
circus. Anyway, what we don't find ourselves doing is saying, hey, let's go spend time in God's word together. Come over, let's understand what God's doing in your life and pray about it. Let's spend intentional time with the Lord. The third option is to be bold and just ask someone else to do that. Right? To spend time with someone, to ask someone. It requires a little bit of vulnerability maybe. Right? To say, hey, I want to be your friend. I want to know Jesus with you. But folks, again, that is what we are called to do and be. We've seen this morning in studying 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10, that Jesus is the cornerstone, the foundation, and that he is imparted to us with the Spirit of Christ indwelling us in us as children of God, that we are a spiritual house, a holy and royal priesthood, unable to be put to shame, honorable, a chosen race, a holy or set-apart nation, recipients of mercy. That with our only true and foundational identity rooted in Christ Jesus, we are to be disciples, making disciples of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let us, Buffalo City Church, be outwardly marked by our identity as disciples and makers of disciples of Christ Jesus. Let's pray.